what gets stored in our body through our senses has a lot to do with our early experiences and our early memories and in our internal working model. And so our body's prepped for those kind of things, right? So that, well, you know, one thing interesting, sensitive to that, similar to that is a lot of, there's been some pretty interesting old and recent research using fMRIs, et cetera, looking at the amygdalas of the different attachment styles and that there is an impact when we are looking at emotional faces. Our amygdala is activated when we are our, and our hypothalamus when we're looking at emotional faces. So we're, we're going to be assessing for that emotional face, is that threatening or not? And you know what's so interesting is like the individuals with insecure attachment, both avoidant and preoccupied or anxious attachment, have a heightened amygdala response to emotional faces. So that doesn't mean that they're aware of anxiety. doesn't mean that they're aware of fear. It's just that in an engagement where an emotional face happens, that there's a heightened feeling of threat and ready to respond. So when we're in those activated internal working models and we see a threatening face or we see an angry face, our bodies are going to get activated whether we know it or not. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. Building on decades of professional experience, this podcast tackles neurobiology, modern attachment, and more in an honest way that's helpful in healing humans. Your session begins now with Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. All right, Sue, I know that we are complete neuro nerds, but this is really true. And we're going to talk about this in this episode Staying up to date in neurobiology really, really does impact and improve your relationship with yourself and other people, don't you think? It really does. In today's episode, we're going to do some updating you with some brand new research related to the threat system and the amygdala. But more than that, we're going to really help you apply all that we know so far about the fear system and unconscious defense to help you master it. That's a tall order. <laughs> and we're hopefully going to have fun doing it too. Oh, always. Before we jump in, we are just a week and a half away, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, from our April 22nd, 2022, by the way, meetup in Austin, Texas. And we're really excited as well as simultaneous meetups throughout the United States and different parts of the world. This has been probably one of the most fun things we've ever done, you know, from my perspective. Is that yeah, true for you? No, I agree. We're getting to meet hosts from, and then you really create new friendships with folks all over. We've got almost two dozen right now. By the time this plays, I imagine there may be a few more. Two dozen cities around the world. And I just want to mention just a couple. Uh, Wellington, New Zealand was one. London, they have room for more. And to get an updated list, just go to therapistuncensored.com. Just go to our website and right on the banner, it'll say simultaneous meetup. But it's therapistuncensored.com backslash meetups and see if there's one near you. And, you know, what we're saying is, you know, brush off the COVID isolation dust and build relationships and build new connections. Now, we're, of course, not saying COVID's over. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> but we're going to have these very, very courageous volunteers. I also want to mention we have multiple in Australia. Big shout out to Australia. We have a big group there. And we're so excited about that. Yeah. But also all over the United States, from Colorado to New York, Florida, New York, California, Montana. So yeah, as Sue said, go to 
our website, therapistuncensored.com backslash meetup, and take a look, find one in your city and just show up or go, or, you know, we also want you maybe to email your host so they know they won't be sitting there in whatever that is, that pub or coffee house all by themselves and meet some like-minded people. Because if you think keeping up with neurobiology improves your relationship, you already have something in common with these people. And we just want to help people build communities and have fun. And we will be, for those of you, most of you who will probably not be in one of these locations, unfortunately, we are going to live stream some of it to make it accessible to everybody. So it's going to be fun. We hope you show up either online or in any of these places. And again, thank you so much to the hosts and to our online community. We've got patrons that help produce this show. We invite you to join that as well. If you're a longtime listener, if you refer to us, um, just jump on to therapistcenter.com backslash join. And there you'll get access to an ad-free feed and just extra content. We do extra episodes and you have unique learning opportunities. There's usually some sort of a reading group or a study group happening in small groups. It's another way to network and to grow community. And you'll be part of helping us do this, get That's this right. material. We're trying to really continue our goal of spreading security one conversation at a time. All right, let's get to it. Let's do this conversation today. So let's start first. You had a really interesting interview with Joseph Ledoux. And since then, it's just added to our conceptualization of a lot of different things that we've been talking about. And that episode's going to be coming up. So it sparked a lot of conversation between us. So what are some of the highlights that you got out of that episode with him? And first, like for those of you out there, including me till I was doing some deep dives into this kind of research, might not have that name be familiar to you. Who is Joseph Ledoux? So Joseph Ledoux is the amygdala man. (laughs) (laughs) Really. And as a matter of fact, he's in a band called the Amygdaloids, and they write songs about mental health and stuff like that. He's really fun. But he is, yes, he's going to be the amygdala expert, and He's been studying it for a very long time and has a lot of messages for us. So what we thought is some of that interview got a little technical. So we thought we would sort of warm you up by just Anna and I talking about some of those highlights, but also just some of our own take on it. So one of the things that was really exciting from that interview was this research that he's done on rats around the freeze response. So should I just keep going and tell you about it? Yeah, yeah, tell me a little bit about it. And then we're going to, for those of you, we're going to actually, believe it or not, all of this is going to really apply to you in your everyday life with regard to anxiety, arguments you have with your spouse, those of you that have certain anxiety, like is this going to be a broad reaching? Trauma histories. Oh, yes, but a broad reaching impact. So listen to the technical stuff and kind of what we're going to get out of it, and then we're really going to apply it as we go along. Right. And I'm going to not do all the technical stuff. That can be in the interview with Ledoux, where he talks more specifically about protein synthesis and things like that. But some of the highlights that I really wanted to emphasize, one of them was, again, this research with rats. And what they do is they, of course, scare the crud out of them by pairing a shock with a tone. So let me just describe the study for a second, and then you'll very easily it'll apply to trauma. So they train the rats to be afraid of the tone, and they can see in their little amygdala, you know, it firing up and being frightened, right? So then they let the rats, part of where they're standing, they can jump over and they can escape the danger of the threat. So one of the things that he said that I really liked was that every single person has this bell curve of experience, and every cell in your body has a bell curve of experience. And it's all unique and all different, even all the bazillions of cells you have, even just in your amygdala. 
So even though it's a single event, everybody is going to have just a little bit of a different experience. And it's based on what we talk about a lot, which is our early experience that then affects the current situation. So most of these rats figure it out pretty quickly and they jump away and they are able to escape the danger. But there's a small subset of rats. So basically what would happen would be they would, the first reaction that a rat has when they're in danger is to freeze. That's Which just, is similar to us. Just a moment of, of pause. The, yes. Right. Is to freeze. And then the rats that could get out of freeze and move again, basically, you know, continue to cope, they got right out of it and they were fine. And each group of rats, again, the bell curve was eventually most of them learned it, sometimes very quickly, sometimes it took them longer. But there was a subset of rats that couldn't learn it and they would just sit there and be shocked. So, so basically what they did was they went in and they reduced activity in the, in the amygdala. What they thought was, okay, we're going to calm down the fear response center, actually, which is not the amygdala. That's another thing I want to say. But the threat response, we're going to calm down the threat response and then, let them, then watch them figure it out. The surprise was that when they calmed the threat reaction, the rats immediately knew what to do. There wasn't a period of learning. They had already learned what to do. They knew they wanted to jump, but they couldn't jump because their body was frozen. That's really important. And so when you think about all the people, lovely, incredible people that we know and love and that are just out there in the world that are in a state where that they can't turn off the threat and they're in a freeze response, this is one of those things that then it impacts us day to day. So studying, and this goes back to things like safety, Ledoux talked about propanol and, you know, physiological deactivation of the behavioral response. But as we translate it, and he, he gave me some license to do that, metaphorically as we translate it, that one of the things if you, you know, one of the dangers in trauma is that we get stuck in the freeze response. So basically moving into action, even if that action is to avoid, that is a healthy coping strategy, get away from the shock, get away from the danger. So this has, to me, really interesting implications for dissociation, for the treatment of trauma, things like that. It's stuff that feels intuitively, we're generally doing it anyway, which is we're trying to help people have more management over symptoms like dissociation and freeze. But this sort of reemphasizes the importance of that. And I hope also reinforces the less shaming aspects that we get associated with. We know what to do when we get stuck and we don't do it. Afterwards, we can really have a really difficult time integrating that. And I love the example you're giving that these rats didn't know what to do, but until their threat response calmed down, they couldn't move into action. They, yeah, they were. Their motor systems were. Their motor systems were impacted. They were literally frozen. When I really thought about that, I just had my heart just like opened up around like, oh my gosh, it's just so painful. It's just so painful. This also speaks to body therapies and somatic therapies, which with this brand new article we're also going to talk about today really points to somatic therapy again. Well, and in that episode, I really love that he ends up talking about ways to use this information to really integrate change in the body. Yeah, well, he was pretty shy about doing that, but I wasn't. So <laughs> he corrected me several times. But that's good because he was he's a scientist talking about his actual research. So that's good. But just two other quick highlights. One was we talked about some of his early research of memory reconsolidation. And we've had Bruce Eckert on previously. And again, many of you, the treat trauma will be familiar with this. But 
I don't want to necessarily go into the detail of it right now because it'll be fully in the next episode, but it reemphasizes this notion of healing trauma that you actually can affect. They basically, it's a protein synthesis issue <laughs> that as the memory comes up and you have a different experience, whether it be ideal parent, whether it be the treatment, whether it be even like a, a surprise, that it literally does change that original memory, that it shifts the way that the memory is stored. And as Ledoux says, like more of like just regular life, like you can look at it. EMDR, we hear about that a lot with EMDR, that like what it does is it moves it from the trauma center where when you remember you're just in it to a more autobiographical place where you can, you still remember it, but you don't have the physiological arousal as you remember it. Because you're pairing more positive associations, more positive memory of the present moment, whether it's with a therapist. I think it's what you're saying, right? That it ends up being able to pair and then it gets reorganized by pairing the positive experience or a different experience in the moment with that body reaction to the trauma. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be positive, I think, but of course we would want it to be. But to me, again, if we just go to the physiological, it's like there really is this, let's say, chunk of a trauma memory. And I'll just use myself, you know, that I have one of these. And I used to, in therapy, if I would even get near it, there's just sort of this area. If I would even get near it, I would get pretty disorganized and just like, oh, like my thoughts would clutter and it would be very uncomfortable. And then what I would do is I would get myself out of it. I'm like, oh, this feels terrible. This isn't helpful. I'm not going to do that. But what I was doing every time that I did that was I was reactivating that negative physiology so that when this trauma would store again, it just reinforced like, yep, that's really dangerous. Don't look at that direction. Stay away from it, Sue, you know, which was a mistake, right? We don't want to just stir it up and then have it go back down as the same experience. Because it can also add to more of a traumatic experience because you start to really reinforce, oh, when I really go into that experience. Yeah, I'm on my own. You're on your own. You experience a trauma response in your body. And it's like that feels so aversive in the current state. And then you need to push it down and see it just becomes additive. Right. And physiologically additive. So that every time that I reinforce the fear and then the cutoff, the dissociation, the the putting it away, that then it just made it more and more ripe for that negative physiology when I got near it again. What's great about this is that it, it explains some of that, but also what to do about it, which again, we're going to point you to the memory reconsolidation, and we'll keep talking about it in today's episode. I think it's an important one. I'm glad you're kind of leaning off of it at the end, because I think we're talking a lot about that. And that is that kind of the difference between fear and threat. And I think you were going to talk about one of the experiences of that that fear and amygdala connection. Yeah, I think this is going to help us transition more to the clinical part of it. And again, this podcast is not just for therapists by any stretch. I know many of you listening are interested for your own healing and journey. You're just learning. You have people close to you that can benefit. So one of the things that's very important is the amygdala has been confused with the fear center. A lot of people talk about the amygdala is the fear center. That is inaccurate. And I don't, I think, and you and I have done a pretty good job of not using that language and not saying that it is part of a threat response system. It's not the whole thing, which we'll say more about too. It's part of the threat response system. And what's important about that, when someone is in an insecure state, whether that be that they're being in a dismissing state of mind or in a preoccupied state of mind, it means their threat response system is active period. It has to be. That's why that we are either preoccupied or that's why that we are 
avoiding something or being dismissive, right? But if you were to say to me when I'm perky, <laughs> let's say if, if I'm stirred up, if you were to say to me something like, what are you afraid of? Like that would not resonate with me. So like when you're sitting with someone that's upset and they're doing their thing they do when they're upset, most of the time they're not going to say they're afraid. That isn't the conscious experience. So this isn't just semantic. Basically what happens, right, is the amygdala does its little we think of it as like the squid squirt, you know, when the black ink comes so that they can get away. It's just a physiological message that causes a cascade of things to happen, but basically gets our defense system going if it detects threat. Only much later, by the time it floats into our higher mind and then it's in our non-conscious thoughts and then eventually it comes to a conscious thought and we think, what a jerk, I can't believe that person did that to me or whatever. We tell the story to make sense of our big reaction. That's why it's very important. So fear is a, is a cognitive construct. With an emotional component. Right. Right. And, so, right. And you right, can so, define it in different ways. Right. But one of the things we're saying, just as you're working with someone on this, that teaching them this amoral, it's not good or bad. It literally is just, oh, that, I think of like a puffer fish or something, you know, or those fainting goats that just, they fall over. It's not moral that they do that. It's not weak or anything. It just means that their body perceived threat and they did the thing that you do when you're in threat. Yeah, it's not amoral. It's just doesn't have a moral. It's not good or bad. Is right, what I'm saying. right, yeah. right. It's not good or bad. It's not good or bad. Yeah, it doesn't have. It just means the body's under threat. There's, you know, like let's talk about why that. Why, if you're out there, like why should this matter? You've already touched on so many wonderful parts to that, but I think sometimes we try to make cognitive sense of our emotional response or our body's response, and if we're not actually experiencing, like we don't know that we're having a threat response, we're often then looking at what's happening outside of us and interpreting what's going on in our body, right? Like we're, we're seeing what's happening and we're having a body's response to that threat. But we don't have a cognitive awareness of that or an emotional awareness that I'm afraid. Our body responds to the threat where our heart rate goes up, our pupils dilate, and we feel that, but we so often don't know we're feeling that, right? We don't know that we're feeling threat. So one of the things, even though we teach this stuff and we are decent therapists that help people with their with stuff and we're decent parents, I guess, that, you know what I mean? We can do it in one state of mind. And it's very easy, even as you're listening, it's like, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. But when it's you <laughs> that is the one that's activated, all that stuff goes away. For sure. And so like with Ann and I, if my voice begins to go up, of course I'm responding to something I think. I think I'm doing that for some reason, that some offense or whatever. Then it's going to trigger your amygdala reaction. Right. Again, morally neutral. It's not bad. It's just all of a sudden now you're responding to this non-conscious experience. You're, you're not aware that you just got a squirt. Right. And that I got a squirt of threat. Like I'm not, I'm not feeling afraid. You know, if your voice goes up, I'm feeling irritated. <laughs> right? I'm feeling like... Like, I don't have this conscious awareness that my threat response went off. And I think if there's anything you can take from this episode today, that's the one that one of the ones I would want you to take is that you're not aware of your threat response. You're waiting for it to have some emotional salience and some intellectual salience, but your whole body is responding. Like if your voice goes up and that's going to be based on different people. Some people voices go up, doesn't have any effect. My history is such a voice goes up. My early learning experience, et cetera, in my body 
it's been automated. I have an automatic response that that feels threatened in my body, threatening. Yes. And then what gets really tricky, just using this example a little further, is that because at that time you're not aware that you've had a little squirt of your fear response right, system, right, right. I mean, your threat response system saying danger, then your voice is going up and you're making movements that to me I see as dysregulated and then therefore I get my little squirt, which it probably was already squirting, but then I get my little squirt and all I know is you're overreacting to me. Yes. <laughs> that is, so in my conscious brain, I'm just like, what? I didn't say anything and now she's getting all animated. What's wrong with her? And on your side, your, your conscious brain is saying... Now I'm feeling really screwed over here because you started it with your raised voice and that's obvious, right? <laughs> and you're just responding neutrally yes. or you're, you think that you're matching me. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Right. And, and yet I don't realize that my hands are starting to activate and I'm showing my motor system, right? When we feel threat, it's so instinctual that our motor system starts to activate. We don't know that. That's where the voice goes up. And I already have a loud voice. So by the way, we have to turn my microphone down and Sue's up for these podcasts because I have a very, a very intense voice. But because my voice will go up in this unconscious way, and I don't even think I'm fearful. I don't think I, you know, I'm just, I actually don't even think my voice is going up. Right. I just am trying to respond. I don't even know. That's the most important part is that I'm not aware of the activation in my own body. All I can see, and this is what our bodies have been trained to do, right? We haven't been, we've talked about this before. We're not trained to be introspective when a threat is happening outside of our body. Totally. Our, we have to have an automatic response. And to get that threat away to, or to yes. fight with that threat or what, handle the threat, get out of danger. Right. And we, so our body already starts moving. I'm already starting to use my hands for my voice is going up. And not only that, it's now communicating to you. That, that I've done something terrible. Yes. That I'm in displeasure with you, which then is going to activate your entire nervous system of if you've done something terrible, how does that relate to your own internal working model? Right. right. And, and another pro tip here explaining in that moment <laughs> what you meant <laughs> or how you should be seen, not very effective. Not effective at all. <laughs> and why? It's because I'm, you know, a left brain cognitive process when what's actually happening is a lower limbic system. So Anne's move, correct move, if I'm beginning to get wound up, is to move towards safety with me, to help me be like, oh, oops, she's good. Yeah, there she goes, you know? So soft face, soft eyes. And again, this is stuff I know that we've touched on some before, but the smartest move would be to calm down my threat system. And, and the reverse is true too. If I see some of Anne's tells as she begins to get wound up, rather than explaining what I meant or whatever, you know, and so rather than feeling misunderstood, my better move would be, actually, there's two things, right? This is something we just talked about, is one, rather than trying to get my awareness away from her and more to myself, how am I doing? I was really glad you went there first, because we often talk about like, oh, if I can start showing soft faces like you didn't do anything wrong, it would calm you down. But the most important point is I have to be aware that my body just ticked up. I have to be aware that my hands are starting to go, my voice went up. And instead of thinking, what does who just do to deserve that? Which is, and, you know, all of y'all can relate to this. I don't know anyone that can't relate to arguments with a spouse or a child that gets in friend or, or a friend that get, doesn't get into, well, I did that because you did. And I wouldn't have done that. And we talk a lot about that throughout our podcast, right? But I think the thing to add today 
is the part about noticing your own uptick in your own body and to recognize that it... To, it's hard, y'all. Oh, it is. But it is because it's an unconscious process. But here's the question is if you start to find yourself in this tit for tat, I think it's easy to describe as a tit for tat. No, but I went up, but you did. And you did this, but I did this. Between two people, right? You're like, stop and say, hey, wait a minute. Give myself a break for a second. Just say, what is the threat what is so threatening about what's going on? Like, ask yourself what is so threatening. Exactly. Don't ask the other person. Don't ask <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't go well. But if you go, wait, wait, wait. And Inside your own mind. Inside yeah. your own mind. What is the threat? And it's a different question it than is. what is making you mad. That what is making you mad or angry, we can look all day at the other person. And we can explain why we're mad and angry. Absolutely. Right. But I love that because, and it actually works pretty well if you were to say, what's the threat to me? because we're a little practiced, it's actually, I find it very helpful because it reorients me back into myself. And it's also basically making a point, like really it's probably not as threatening as your body is, <laughs> is experiencing it. But that move from orienting outward and trying to understand what's happening out there to moving inward and to really being aware of the little uptick and being curious about it and being caring about it, that is a master move, whether it be mindfulness or you know, therapies and things like that. But I can tell you people who teach mindfulness and your therapist and people who are really good at teaching this don't necessarily have this down. That's so true. <laughs> so every single person listening is we're all in it together that we have these animal bodies. And when that gets activated, most of the time, we're wired to go outward. And the new thing that we keep emphasizing is that what we want you to do is go inward get curious and just notice even like hands on heart because it, just that question when I think like like you know as your arms get going I begin to get nervous I don't feel it as nervousness but I just begin to you don't feel fear I think that's the important right. the distinction between the amygdala not necessarily waiting for a fear response right because if we think that the amygdala is all about fear when it's actually getting all of the senses from our somatic system from our gut gets direct information from our gut right this fluid intake to our gut, et cetera, our amygdala gets activated. We're not feeling fear. Our body's put in that defense system that we talk about, and it isn't fear. And yet our body is in a threat response. Hey, can I give actually a really great live example? You know, we're always giving the examples. You're really good about giving the examples of like when you get threatening and how I'm responding to you. So we're going to reverse it around, right? I don't want y'all to... Oh, and Kelly's yeah. about to do some self-disclosure. Well, yeah. I don't want to like always be like, I'm the one walking around all calm and collected all the time because that's just BS. Like this morning when we're getting ready for this podcast, I hadn't eaten and it's about 1.30 in the afternoon. Well, it was morning. It was 1.30 in the afternoon, haven't eaten. And I'm not really recognizing that. That's probably sending signals. Yeah, just to be clear, that was intentional, right? That was intentional, yes. <laughs> it's not self-neglect. So, so I hadn't eaten yet, but... Or getting ready, and I can't find the earbuds to do the appropriate sound check. We're trying to get ready to do the podcast, and I can't find it, right? And I look and look and look, and I'm getting more and more frustrated and more and more frustrated, and I start to get much more verbal about that. And I'm like, you know, and I'm like, God, like, you know, and I'm expressing it. And I think it's a combination between I really was ready to get going. I was like all these things. So my body starts to amp up, and I start to verbalize this out loud and like start to give a a diary of my stress, which is, we all know, not super helpful. And I'm like, rrr, 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 and like, hey, I can't find them, you know, and I'm just getting really animated. I mean, like, ah, I'm so frustrated. I've looked everywhere. And what you did was awesome. 
And it wasn't like some like a complete, you know, mindfulness Buddha moment, right? You said, hey, I can't remember exactly, but you kind of said, hey, can we not narrate what's going on or something like that? I'm finding myself I already stressed. It's just increasing my stress. You said it very caring. It wasn't judgmental, but you owned your own stuff. You own the fact that my narrating my stress, of course, through mirror neurons, et cetera, was starting to amp your body up. And that's not helpful. And instead of going, would you stop doing that? You said, hey, could we put a pause on that? Because my body's starting to get activated and I really am trying not to do that. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. It was like, I think I need to eat. And it was, but I love the way you did it because you just identified that, that while I was doing that, it was amping your body up, but it was not through any judgment or stress or, it, I mean, it was stress, but you just clearly owned that you could feel your body amping up. There was no judgment in it. It was just my body's amping up and it really worked. You know, what's good about this is that I actually, I think what I said was something much less nice than what you just said. It was something like, you're stressing me out or something like that. Or you speaking you speaking this out loud is stressful. That's what you said. You right. speaking and then I, out loud. You didn't judge. You just said, you speaking, you narrating this uh, yeah. experience is stress is, is creating stress in my body. It was something creating like stress. And, and then I moved out of the room and went and did something, not upset with her at all, but just I was like... It was just, it, I think the thing about it was not that I said anything all that nice, but that I said something about myself. Yes. And I took care of myself because I could feel myself beginning to ramp up around like, did I need to jump up and start looking at like, uh, it's just a little bit of activation. So what's good about this, you guys, for those of you who are not very skilled relationally, and that would be me, that you don't really even have to do it that well that when you keep the focus on you, it really is effective in the sense that, one, it leaves you with the aggression in a way, right? Like right. you're the one that's stirred up. But also, I'm taking care of myself. My, you know, oxygen mask on me first. I'm going to keep my regulatory system calm, and then I'm going to be in much better shape to help you. Versus if I go at you trying to help you. Like, would you stop? If you right. started telling me what Here, the, I'll find it, or, you know. Would you stop? Because then what you're telling me is my activation's bad. Yes. It's like it, it comes with some heavy weight to that that then is increasing our entire threat response. And what happens for different people, that also if you anticipate these kind of things, we're already going to be active. Right. That's the story. That's Another thing about Ledoux, he was really focused a lot on the implicit narrative. And that's what why he was focusing so much on early experience. So that part's really interesting too. And it jives really well with the stuff that we're talking about, about updating your narrative into a more accurate, compassionate narrative instead of the old implicit stuff. But you said something earlier about the somatic stuff and the gut. This new article just published in March 2022. So that's really very brand new. And what it talked about was not only is the amygdala not the fear center, that it's not even the threat system. It's not even the whole threat system. That what they're finding and... The article is going to be linked. The last name of the author is Lee, L-I, and there's at least two articles. This is a follow-up to a previous study that basically where they found where fearful memories were stored was in the sensory cortex, not in the amygdala. Which is a huge thing if you think about it. Olfactory, our sensory cortex holds so much of our memory. Why would that be, Right to protect us because that it bypasses, we can respond so we can have that threat response become automated. That's right. So, and, and they didn't say it, like they couldn't find it in the amygdala. They really found it in this 
it's basically a more sophisticated part of the brain. It's higher up, but it also is, it's all the senses. But they particularly talk about the olfactory system, which was pretty interesting. So this is so new that I, one of the possible things that could come from this is people with PTSD or with a severe, you know, kind of being tortured by generalized anxiety, that there can be new interventions to take care of the physiology when we now know a little bit better about what, where it's stored. It's yeah. stored in a different place than we thought. And intervention can happen in a different place, right? That's some of what you guys are, are going to talk about. It's definitely stored and impacts us. And it'd be kind of interesting to like really talk about the meaning around that. And that is what is stored? Because we talk a lot about attachment. What gets stored in our body through our senses has a lot to do with our early experiences and our early memories and in our internal working model. And so our body's prepped for those kind of things, right? So that, oh, you know, one thing interesting, sensitive to that, similar to that is a lot of, there's been some pretty interesting old and recent research using fMRIs, et cetera, looking at the amygdalas of the different attachment styles and that there is an impact when we are looking at emotional faces. Our amygdala is activated when we are our, and our hypothalamus when we're looking at emotional faces. So we're, we're going to be assessing for that emotional face, is that threatening or not? And you know what's so interesting is like the individuals with insecure attachment, both avoidant and preoccupied or anxious attachment, have a heightened amygdala response to emotional faces. So that doesn't mean that they're aware of anxiety. doesn't mean that they're aware of fear. It's just that in an engagement where an emotional face happens, that there's a heightened feeling of threat and ready to respond. So when we're in those activated internal working models and we see a threatening face or we see an angry face, our bodies are going to get activated whether we know it or not. Okay, so I found the reference real quickly. It okay. was published March 23rd, which is like yesterday practically, 2022 in the journal Current Biology. And we'll definitely link that. It's really interesting. But the general gist of it is that the threat system is not just the amygdala, that it really is a full circuitry and that the long-term memory, fear memories, will be in the sensory cortex, which is, again, new and different. I'm going to read you something from it that I don't know exactly what it means yet, but we're going to kind of keep learning. And by the way, that these circuitries are related to folks that have generalized anxiety disorder, that in other words, there's a hyperactivation of these particular parts of the brain. So if we could figure out how to calm the sensory system down, which to me goes at least most immediately to somatic therapies and body-oriented bottom-up therapies for sure. But it says pattern differentiation and tuning shifts in the sensory cortex. Now I've looked all this stuff up. I, I, I you know, I'm going to have to either contact the author and get them to translate it for us, but there'll be some of you guys that are way smarter than we are that will have a sense of what that means. But basically it's a sensory based fear pathway. And they said it's rooted in the primary olfactory cortex, which jives with something else you mentioned this morning about smell. I love where we're going with this because we're really talking about the unconscious, unaware process. So those of you out there think, oh, I got myself down, you know, really open up to this. Most, most of our audience, I don't think, thinks I, that. Point taken. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a fabulous, there was a study I read recently out of uh, Stony Brook, New York University, and they really proved that we can smell fear. 
or we can smell our response. And so this study is really fun. I'm going to geek out on it in a second. So what they did is they put pads under the armpits of a group that were first time jumping out of an airplane. So my, you've done this. I haven't very thought of it. I can already feel myself sweating. But what they did is they took the excretions of what happened for first time jumping out of the airplane. And you might imagine that we have some fear response happening. They took these same subjects and we, they got their sweat response when they're just running on a treadmill. So no threat response, but perspiration. And they won't give the details of that, but they gave those different smells to a group of subjects that were unaware. They have no idea what this is, what this research is about, why they're in an fMRI. And what they found with, they could not smell the differences at all, reported no differences, but they had a higher amygdala and hypothalamus response to smelling the fear sweat than they did when they had just the running. So their brain, actually, their amygdala and their hypothalamus got activated no awareness. They're not experiencing fear. They have no awareness. The smells were the same. So that is such a great example about how our body is responding to threat with no awareness of fear and no experience of fear. They were not experiencing fear. I love that. I think that's so interesting. And so we're smelling fear in couples or with your children and you have this fear that they're going to get angry with you. You're already experiencing fear and sending these messages to your partner, your child, your pheromones, your pheromones. And so when they're ready to respond, we're just really bringing out this idea, highlighting about how much our body is responding to threat without our awareness. Again, this is something that like everybody will say, yeah, yeah, we know. But what's, I think the harder part is like that it's true for us too. Yeah. And where we get pushed back the most is like, oh really, you know, my childhood has anything to do with today. Oh, come on, you know. But this kind of neuroscience research just reemphasizes that what we understand about implicit stories and unconscious narratives about ourselves and the world, it's all going on under our awareness, but it's very much driving our perceptions and our expectations and our behavioral responses, and we have no idea. So the action step here is to get more curious, you know, to let go of your narrative a little bit, to get really curious about your own personal history, like what have all the cells in your body experienced over and over and over so that they're anticipating and creating a narrative about what's going to happen. So what experiences in your body create threat in your body? If we bring it back to attachment, right? Like research has found that attachment and fMRI studies with different attachment styles have shown that our sensories are going to be impacted and like visual images. So our body seeing emotional expressions in others is already trained. We're trained as animals to see your emotional expression and interpret that. Is it threatening or is it not? Are you going to be smiling at me? Are you going to show a disapproving face that communicates to my body threat? But what's interesting about that is that insecurely attached, both avoidant and preoccupied insecurely attached will be more highly activated by emotional expressions in somebody in secure attachment. So that we're all, amygdala are all going to be responsive to that, but an insecurely attached internal working model, and I would say also state of mind, you're more likely to feel the face of another human being 
as threatening. So think of it as that like you have under your nose without awareness, the perspiration, the, the threat, <laughs> you know, the, the skydivers perspiration that is just kind of, I mean, we used to talk about it like with Jaws music, like the background is that there's something scary and that that impacts then how we perceive, how we interpret events. The unconscious is unconscious. So we can only point to it. And in a way, you're going to have to just trust us on this, like, because it's like we can't see the our own unconscious. So let's talk about what to do about, like, even in this situation, let's talk about what to do about it. If if we know, let's say, if being preoccupied, I'm going to overly read our example to begin with. If I overread your your expression, my body sees that as threatening, or your voice goes up, and my body's reading that as threatening. By being aware that we have a bias it really helps. And so one of the suggestions is, is to slow down and instead of focusing on that, go, okay, wait, Aunt, what is the threat? What is the threat here really to me? Let's say I say I've done something and Sue's really in disapproval of it. What is really the threat? And asking yourself that question, again, kind of getting it back down, like I, I often experience... I think that's a good takeaway. Well, I experience, like couples will often say, well, why don't you talk to him or her about it? Well, she's going to get mad. She's going to get angry. The next step is not to turn to the other person and say, well, why are you going to get angry? It's to say, well, what is so threatening about that? What is the threat if he or she gets angry? Because if we bring it again, just to tap a little bit back into attachment, is if your attachment memory is you have intense emotions, sadness, whatever, actually creates in your attachment person anger or irritability or withdrawal, your body encodes that as threat. So if somebody gets emotional, too emotional or too disapproving. To being in quotes. To being, <laughs> right. So if you experience it, the feeling of threat is, I'm going to be abandoned. I'm like, it's an unconscious threat. And if I ask myself consciously, okay, wait, what's really the threat here? What is the worst case? What is the threat? And I can stop and say, okay, if you're mad in the very big moment, like, is that really that threatening? Right? So there's ways to really then encode like, okay, wait, what is the threat for me? What's the threat for the situation? And it really can diffuse it because it really, you can station your body in that moment, feel the grounding of the floor and bring yourself in the present moment. Then you're less likely to be responding to this internal working model sense of threat that you're not recognizing. You know, one other maybe anchor. I love that question as an anchor that you're asking yourself, what is the threat? Another anchor is anybody that's familiar with the Jill Bolte-Taylor work and the four characters, maybe we'll evoke that, that, the memory of that. And if not, just check out that episode. We'll link it as well in the show notes. But basically, her work is doing the same thing we're talking about, except that she does it kind of in metaphor of characters in the brain. So basically, what you're seeing is that as you get threatened, in other words, your character two begins to get active then we want to call on some of the other characters, the other parts of our mind that can create safety for that character too. It's the exact same thing. We're just, it's just different language. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And just the awareness can take the threat out of it. One other point, I know we need to wrap, but if we think about it, if our senses are so important to the sense of threat, they are also extremely important to calming down a sense of threat. So kind of bringing senses into it to kind of like being aware of like, the sight of the moment, like a lot of somatic experiences is about looking at the room in the moment, you know, bringing your senses into the present moment, smells in the present moment, you know, to really kind of 
calm your body down is Ooh, also I, important elevation. I really like, okay, so that's three, t- that's three anchors okay. to leave with. Yeah, yeah. Because what you just did is you went back to the body, which they're, what we're figuring out is that that's where the fear memory is. So by using your present experience in the body, that's kind of memory reconsolidation. <laughs> oh, true. Right? Like you're, you're both feeling the anxiety that is the historical but then by grounding in the moment and really kind of grounding into your belly or into your stomach or into your cheeks or wherever, or, or even orienting, all the orienting exercises, that you're then having a different experience. You're not just recycling that old memory, that you're really messing with it so that when it stores again. So let's just say the three anchors. I'll probably forget them already because of my ADD. But the first one was asking yourself, what's the threat? Asking yourself what's the threat and then going a little bit deeper into that because you can say what's the threat is he's being, she's being. What is the threat if somebody's angry? What's the actual threat? What is the actual, is it actually Are you in danger? Because it's a difference to feel threat and discomfort and we tend to pair that, don't we? Like if we feel discomfort in our body, right, we might pair that with threat. But what is actually the threat? I don't like somebody being angry at me, but is it actually threatening? So what is the threat? And then that leads to being more internally aware of your own body response, your own voice going up, your own hands being raised. And then I guess to add one that you did, also self-reference. Like I'm feeling a little stressed out with your raised voice. I need to take a break rather than you are being too much. I'm feeling stressed out. I need to take a break. Really helps depathologize it between two people. So that's why the anchoring is what's the threat, what to do about it. We also saw, talked about senses and bringing it in the moment. Part of the memory reconsolidation is being in the moment with the activated state. And then the third one you were talking about, like updating your narrative, update the narrative into a more realistic present moment rather than Sue is so scary and mean and, you know, like, like updating the narrative that actually it's okay. So what, what's the current narrative? <laughs> <laughs> Current narrative is when is I get really activated when a voice goes up and I start elevating, like changing the narrative. I'm fine if we are angry with each other. It is not a threat. Changing the narrative to a place of more secure relating. Yeah, exactly. And and again, you can hear the compassion. It changes from the right. threat to the compassion. Like even if Sue's upset, everything's still going to be okay. And even if I feel threatened, I actually have this capacity. I can do all kinds of things to protect myself. My life isn't in her hands. I'm not actually in danger. And that is an important, empowering, powerful position. That's going to put you right in the green, the balance between thinking and feeling. You've got this. And then you're pairing then the positive. So if your body's stressed out and you start to pair the positive, then you have a positive pairing, which will calm your nervous system. So you would think that we would have this all figured out, but I think it's pretty clear that <laughs> we're, we are works in progress, just like everybody listening. And we appreciate that. I think that's why we all kind of get along together pretty well. And you know what? This is, I hope, a setup for the the more scientific part of the expert of Joseph Ledoux coming up in our next episode. The amygdala man. The amygdala man. You're going to learn even more strategies through their conversation about what to do with this kind of information. All right. So thanks for listening. Really want to do a big shout out to our Patreon members. And our Supercast members. Right. Our patrons are our Patreon members and our Supercast members who are literally the core of what brings these episodes to you guys. They're part of helping to build security one conversation at a time. And if you find this information valuable, and you can, because not everybody can, we really ask for you to jump on. Go to Therapist Uncensored backslash 
Uh, uh, yeah, censor.com backslash, not, meet up, not meetups, <laughs> but join, join. Backslash join. join. Uh, yes, go to therapistuncensored backslash join. Therapistuncensored.com backslash. <laughs> backslash join. join. I, I even have to try to make www.therapistuncensored.com not so obvious that I'm from Texas. Backslash join and become a member today. We would really appreciate it. All right, you guys, thanks for listening, and we'll see you around the bin. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. 